If you were here last week, you know that we kicked off our Advent series by looking at uh, the topic of hope. And we said the word Advent uh, is just kind of a fancy Latin word. Uh, it, it really just means coming. It means arrival. And so for centuries, the church has set, set aside just a, a few weeks as a season of anticipation, both for the, the first advent of Jesus, right, when he would come as a helpless babe in the manger to be the savior of the world, but also on, on the same token, he, we, we also kind of begin to anticipate the second advent of Jesus, right, where he's going to come back again, this time not as a helpless babe in a manger, but he's going to come back as king and ruler to set all things right and make all things new. And so for centuries, the church has set aside a few weeks leading up to Christmas to anticipate both the first coming as well as the second coming of Jesus. And as we said last week, listen, church, it's good for us to anticipate, right? As a, as a people, like it's good for us to learn to sit and, and wait, particularly in a culture that doesn't value that at all now. Everything is just right at the, your fingertips, like download movies and music and fast foods and microwave dinners and the whole nine yards. Like we've been conditioned not to wait on anything, and yet I would argue that is not good for the human soul. And so what the Christmas season does, what the Advent season does is invites us into a period of waiting, of anticipating something that's great that's coming. I think that's good for us. It's healthy for us. Now, today we're going to be unwrapping the second theme of Advent, which is, does anybody know? Yeah, somebody knows. Peace, right? You probably could have picked up on that from the, the worship songs that we just sang, right? The second theme is peace. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the Christmas season, uh, for, for myself personally, uh, my experience, my wife and I, our three kids, our, our family, uh, if I'm just being really honest with you, peace is probably not the first word that comes to my mind when I think about our Christmas season, right? For, for us, it tends to be frantic. And I'm guessing for, for many of you, you know exactly what I mean because you're also running from one Christmas event to another. You're juggling all the kids' uh, Christmas schedules and the office parties and, uh, you know, all these different things, Christmas shopping. My wife and I were up late last night uh, trying to finish up Christmas shopping for, for our kids. And um, uh, others of you are just trying to emotionally prepare for the family Christmas dinner, right, when the aunts and uncles come over and the grandparents and the cousins, and, and you just know it's coming. Like cra crazy Uncle Mo is going to show up eventually, and you're bracing yourself because you know he's going to have a couple of a glasses, too many of the eggnog from the adult punch bowl, and he's going to start just jammering on about politics, and he's going to ruin it for everybody, Right? And so some of you, you're experiencing maybe a little bit of anxiety right now just thinking about that family Christmas dinner. And the reality is, I think if we're being honest, for many of us, the Christmas season feels a whole heck of a lot more like chaos than peace. Am I lying? I think that's, that's true for a huge uh, percentage of us in the room watching online. And here's why I think that is. I think that peace, at least peace as we understand it in our culture, Peace tends to be elusive in the breakneck speed culture that we live in. Y'all, listen, it, it is hard to experience peace when almost everything that we pour into our lives produces anxiety and worry. And yet, despite of our experiences, the, the Bible, the scriptures talk about peace in a way that makes it almost seem like peace ought to be the normative experience for every follower of Jesus. 
In fact, that word peace in its many forms appears in the Bible over 300 times, depending on your translation, uh, pushing 400 times. Right? This idea of peace is all over the pages of Scripture from Genesis all the way through the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So then the question becomes, where's the disconnect for us? Right? Like, so if this is our experience over here, and yet the Bible is painting what our experience ought to be over here, why is there a huge gap between what we experience and what we read in the Scriptures? So the question that we're going to be trying to answer together this morning is on the screens for you. Why is it so hard to find peace? Why is it so hard to find peace? Now, as often the case, uh, we, I think we have to go back to the very beginning of the story, really, to kind of uh, start to untangle the mess and find the solution. Now, so I'll go ahead and give you my outline for the whole message. You have it on the front end. Here's the outline. I'm going to talk about two kinds of peace. So we're going to look at two different kinds of peace. And then I'm going to tell you how to get peace, right? So that's the whole outline. That's the game plan for this morning. Now, if you're familiar with the creation narrative in the book of Genesis, particularly chapters 1 and 2, you know that God created all that is in the universe. He created it perfectly. He created it flawlessly. Like our universe existed in a state that the Hebrew people, they had a word for it. It was called, many of you have heard this word, shalom. Have you heard that word? Everybody say shalom. Shalom, all right? You now know Hebrew. This, this was the concept that they experienced, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, in the garden. Now, shalom is translated peace in our Bibles, and it does mean peace, but it means more than peace. It actually means the rightness or contentedness of our souls. Isn't that beautiful? The contentedness of our souls. It means well-being. It means wholeness. The concept of shalom leaves no room for things like anxiety, worry, shame, or insecurity. That's why I think Genesis says that the first human beings were naked and unafraid. I don't think that's just about physical nakedness. I think there's a deeper metaphor being painted for us there in Genesis about the state of existence with no sin, no shame, no guilt, no regret. Can, I mean, can you imagine an existence with perfect vertical harmony, right? Perfect harmony in our relationship with God perfect relational horizontal harmony with with nature with creation with all other human beings it was shalom it would have been incredibly amazing i don't think we can even fathom the bliss that was eden in the garden all those years ago whatever you imagine as a perfect world i'm telling you eden was better eden was better now if you know the story you know that Everything was awesome. God created everything. It was incredible. We had Shalom, Genesis 1 and 2. By the time we get to the third chapter of Genesis, we've blown the whole thing up, haven't we? We just messed the whole thing up. We see the fall happen in Genesis 3. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, do exactly what you would have done if you were there, right? I remember when I was younger, I used to, I used to be mad at Adam and Eve, right? I was like, man, why did y'all have to jack it up for us, right? Like, we could still be in the garden, no clothes on, with our spouse jumping off of waterfalls, right? Riding rhinoceroses, rainbows everywhere. Like, why'd y'all have to jack that up for us until I realized if it wasn't them, it would have been me. And if it wasn't me, it probably would have been you before me, actually, right? It would have been one of us. Like, we, we would have messed it up. And our first parents did that. They chose their way over God's way. Sin entered the world and catapulted us into the mess that we find ourselves in today with chaos and destruction and sin and suffering and all those things, darkness. 
And God, even in the ashes of that broken place, promises to send a Savior, Genesis 3, 15, to one day come and restore what was lost. Now, if you read the Old Testament narrative, part of that plan to usher in the Savior who would restore all things and make all things new is God chose a people for himself, right, to display his goodness to the world. Now, he didn't choose the most powerful people. He didn't choose the most wealthy people. He didn't choose the people with the most military power. In fact, in some ways, he, he chose the puniest little group of people, the Hebrews, who became known as the nation of Israel, right? And the whole goal was, that I'm going to choose these people, and I'm going to love them so extravagantly and so well that all the other peoples of the world would see how I love my people, and they would also come and follow me. Israel was to be the signpost of God's love and faithfulness to the rest of the world. And yet, by the time we get to the life of Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, even God's people had plunged into unimaginable sin and darkness. We talked about this a little bit uh, last week, right? Ahaz becomes king of Israel. His father was a godly king. He comes, he ascends to the throne as a young man. He's only 20 years old. He abandons the faith of his fathers. He turns his back on God, begins to worship false God, actually builds idols so that his people can begin to also worship these false gods. He sacrifices one of his son, sons in a fire to worship this false god. There's witchcraft going on, man. There are people kind of communicating with the dead or trying to communicate with the dead through, through mediums. There's all kinds of rampant sexual immorality going on. And it was really, really a dark dark place even for the people of God so even the people that were supposed to serve as a picture of God to the world had really descended into this chaos of sin and darkness now listen guys it was dark and I know a lot of a lot of you a lot of us are concerned about the darkness and the the direction of our current culture and I would just say yes and amen to that I I agree with you I also am concerned with the trajectory that we're on as a culture I don't think it's good for us I don't think it's healthy for our kids or our grandkids but I'm just telling you as dark as you may think our culture is today we got nothing on the days of Isaiah I'm talking it was it was dark, man. It was hopeless. And that's why when we get to Isaiah chapter 9, it's almost a shock to the system, right? Because everything up to that point had been chaos and destruction and sorrow and tears and hopelessness and darkness. It's bad news after bad news. And then, bam, we get to Isaiah chapter 9, and we get this beautiful, life-giving, hope-filled promise of the Savior, now, we looked at this briefly last week. We're going to look at it again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah, that's in your Old Testament, kind of middle of your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 6. Now, remember, this is a prophet Isaiah. He's writing 700 years before the birth of Jesus, period of unimaginable darkness, chaos, sin, hopelessness. He writes this. For to us, a child is born. A son is given. The government or the kingdom shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And I want you to underline the next one Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of, there that word is again, shalom, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this so Isaiah says hey guys look 
I know things seem hopeless right now. I know things feel really dark right now. I know there's a lot of anxiety gripping your heart. There's fear gripping your heart right now. But I want you to know, Messiah is coming. And when he gets here, here's one way that you'll know it's actually him. He's going to bring some peace up in here. All this chaos and disorder that you're feeling in your life and in culture and all the, your family dynamic, like he's going to bring some peace to this situation. In fact, one of his names, Isaiah goes, is going to be the Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, Shar Shalom, right? The, the, literally, the Prince of Peace. Now I want you to fast forward, New Testament, right? Jesus is born just like Isaiah promised in the very city that Isaiah promised he would be born into and the angel begins to make this announcement. This is Luke chapter two on the screens for you and this is the announcement of the angel of the arrival of this Messiah predicted first of all in Genesis 3.15 by God in the ashes of the first fall, the first rebellion prophesied about again by the prophet Isaiah and finally he's here the long awaited king the prince of peace this is the announcement for unto you is born this day in the city of David right so the same exact place Isaiah said the prince of peace would be born now the angel is confirming yep he's been born exactly where the prophets said he would be born that's significant who is Christ the Lord in other words this is this is the messiah and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. So now there's a ton of angels together and they're praising God and they're saying or singing glory to God in the highest. And then watch this. And on earth, that same word, same concept, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Now notice, it doesn't say peace on the whole earth. It doesn't say he's going to establish in his first coming world peace. Jesus is actually going to take care of that in the second advent, the second coming. He actually says very specifically, peace on earth among those with whom he is well pleased. In other words, his people. Now, so get the picture in your mind. These shepherds are out in the field, minding their own business, just kind of chilling in the middle of the night doing whatever shepherds do. I don't know. They're watching funny reels on Instagram. They're taking selfies of themselves with the new baby lambs. Maybe they're millennials or something like that. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up and he's like, boys, I got good news for you. They begin to flip out, right? Because you don't see an angel every single day. And the angel's like, hey, relax. I'm not, don't be afraid. I'm not, I'm not here to hurt you. In fact, I have good news for you. The peacemaker has arrived. Like this Messiah that the prophets have been talking about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, like I'm telling you, he's actually here now, All right? So we have Old Testament prophets that are prophesying about this Prince of Peace, right? The angel is now saying, man, he has arrived, he's here. And then I want you to listen to the words of Jesus himself in John 14. Again, this theme of peace. On the screens for you, Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So are you putting the pieces of the puzzle together in your mind? The, the entire biblical storyline, the arc of all of the scriptures point to a Messiah who will bring peace to our existence. Now that sounds incredible, doesn't it? It sounds pretty awesome. There's only one problem with that. Does the world seem peaceful to you today? Like, have you looked around lately? <laughs> Have you watched the news lately? As war continues to rage in Ukraine? As anxiety and depression and suicide rates skyrocket in the Western world? 
as kids die to the tune of hundreds and hundreds of thousands every single year by, by starvation in Africa and Asia, as human trafficking and slavery continue, those rates continue to go through the roof even in modern times. And if I, if I didn't know any better, it kind of seems like something didn't happen that was supposed to happen. Like it seemed like the promise was one thing, but now reality is something else. And I think that's where a lot of us get confused and a lot of us uh, get sidetracked. See, this is where we want to begin to get into the meat of the message this morning. There are two kinds of peace, and this is an important distinction. I think far too many of us just gloss over this. Now again, Jesus is going to speak into both of those arenas of peace, right? He did one at the first advent. He's going to handle the other world peace with his second coming. But there are two kinds of peace. So quickly, just want to go through these. The first kind of peace on the screens for you is worldly peace. And by worldly peace, I just mean circumstantial peace. Now, this is the kind of peace. Parents of little kids, if you got like, you're in that stage where you got like three kids under five or some, you know, crazy maniac sort of situation like that. This is, this is for you. Like, you get through an entire day. You survive your day, but barely and you get to 8 p.m. and you finally get your kids to bed, right? You've brushed their teeth, you fed them, you bathed them, you read them their bedtime story, you said the final prayer. They, they got up and got water 14 different times, but you finally, finally got them down. Now it's 9.15 and finally they're asleep and you get an hour of peace with just you and your boo, right? And it's glorious. Man, I got an hour to read a book? Now maybe I got to clean the, the crusty macaroni crap out of my hair, you know, as I, as I do that but I got an hour to watch my favorite Netflix show. I got an hour of peace, and it is incredible. You finally drift off to sleep. You've been sleeping like three hours. You're in that deep REM sleep, and you know what's about to happen. You hear, you feel that little tap on your shoulder, right? Mommy, Daddy, I had a nightmare. Or I don't feel good right before they puke all over you, right? It's like, bro got hardwood floors right there you puked on my comforter i gotta pick up the hot dog chunks off of this now in the middle of you're welcome you're welcome and that piece is gone real fast right it is gone it is gone so fast what you had been longing for that little reprieve for just like from 10 p.m to 6 a.m or whatever it is it is gone in a hurry right Maybe for your, you students, you're in middle school, you're in high school, you're in college, man, and you just can't wait until the Christmas break, and bam, you finally take that last exam, that final exam, and it feels so good. It feels so good. Three weeks, four weeks, and you're not going to have to hear that, that professor annoyingly jabber on about this or that, and no more assignments, no more quizzes, no more final exams, and it's awesome, and you experience that peace, but what happens? January rolls around, and classes start again. <laughs> And you got another annoying professor, and you got more papers to write, and you got more tests to study for, and more finals to prepare for. And that peace that you were looking forward to and you enjoyed so temporarily is now gone. It evaporates in a hurry. Worldly peace is characterized by two things. I'm going to put these on the screens for you. It's, it's characterized by being fragile and being fleeting. Worldly, plea, worldly peace is fragile and it's fleeting. Several months ago, uh, some of you have had this experience. My wife and I went on a, a date to Hot Springs, just right, right down the road uh, fr from here. How many of you have been to Hot Springs, right? Yeah, good, probably a third of you, maybe even close to half of you have been to Hot Springs. And 
Uh, it's really cool, right? They got these mineral uh, springs that they discovered uh, bubbling underground, and so they commercialized it. They built these really cool hot tubs, and it's right by the river, and it's really romantic, and uh, it's really kind of awesome. And so we, we went, and you get an hour. You pay whatever, 50 bucks or whatever it is, and you, you get an hour in it. And so they have this little guide that kind of walks you out there, explains everything, how everything works, and they tell you, hey, listen, uh, five minutes before your hour is up, we're going to give you a little, a little knock on the door, and that's your five-minute warning. It's like, cool, we'll get the knock, and we got five minutes to kind of maybe enjoy a couple more minutes in the hot tub, and then, you know, get up, slowly take our time, get dressed, get get out of there. And so we're sitting there, man, it's beautiful. If you've ever been, you know what I'm talking about. It's literally, there's a river that runs right by the hot tub. So you're sitting there, it's like the sound of this bubbling brook just kind of flowing by. You're sitting in this all-natural spring water, like the air is kind of cold, but the water's warm, so you got this steam coming up. It's incredible. We're sipping on some drinks, right? If you're a Baptist, we were drinking grape juice, and we're just like having a really good time. We were talking about life, right? It's kind of romantic. I'm like having to beat her off me with a stick because she's trying to make out. I'm like, babe, not not here like somebody might somebody might see us <laughs> and we're just having I'm sorry babe we're having a having a good time it's pretty glorious and we finally get that knock right we're like okay cool we got five minutes no that, that's not how it works as soon as they knock on the door they hit the eject button on that hot tub right it's like it sucks out of there super fast and so we're scrambling it's 30 degrees we're cold we're wet and we're stumbling around in the dark trying to find our towels and our clothes and we're like oh we go really quickly from like this really romantic vibe to survival mode like get out of my way get what are you doing that's my towel right and that peace is gone just like that it is listen fragile peace good peace i liked it fragile peace Fragile peace. Worldly peace is not just fragile, guys. Listen, it's also fleeting. It's also fleeting. Now, I'm just curious. Be honest. We're in church. How, how many of you enjoy Girl Scout cookies? Just raise your hand. Be honest. All right. All right. Now, somebody shout out your favorite Girl Scout cookie. Just yell it out. Yeah. I heard several, but I heard my favorite. Thin mints. Got a picture of them bad boys. Ah. Oh. Now, I don't know what black magic they sprinkle on those things, but good heavens, are those good. Now, I've got to be careful now because my metabolism isn't what it was uh, in my 20s. But I can tell you when I was younger, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing is I would pull out an entire sleeve. All right? I would pull out an entire... Y'all are laughing because you've done it. I pulled out an entire sleeve, and, and, and I would love to just get a really cold glass of milk, like almost so cold it has ice chips in it, Right? And I would love to sit down on the couch and watch a movie and just work through those cookies and sip on that milk, man, and watch Gladiator or, or Shawshank Redemption or Nacho Libre, like one of the classics. And man, it was just, it was, it was glorious, man. It was like bite a cookie, sip of milk, bloodshed, like awesome. It was a, an incredible, incredible experience. But you know what happens eventually you reach your hand into that beautiful silver sleeve and your little grubby fingers hit the bottom of it and there's no cookies left right and that and that awesome feeling of blissful peace is over because now i have a choice to make i can either go to the kitchen and grab another sleeve of the cookies and then have to explain to my kids why i ate all their cookies and why their father has no self-control at all and why i now have diabetes right (laughs) or or I can sit there and think about how good the cookies used to be, right? which is what I usually would do, right? 
And so it very quickly, those things begin to disappear. Like worldly peace is fleeting, just like those cookies are fleeting. Worldly peace is fragile, and it is fleeting. Ultimately, it's circumstantial peace. Now, listen, I, I studied a lot this week. A lot of Bible scholars and pastors and theologians were, were really down on this kind of peace. So they would call it like fraudulent peace, things like that. I disagree, I disagree with that. I, I think circumstantial peace is good. In fact, I quite like it. Right? I'm about the hot tubs and the cookies. I like them both. There's nothing wrong in my mind with that kind of peace. I think, in fact, circumstantial peace can be a gift from the Lord. But here's, here's, where, the, here's where the rub comes in for many of us. And so if you're tuned out, I want you to tune back in. Here, here's, here's the deal. For many of us, this is the only kind of peace that we know or ever experience in life. And I would guarantee you, for some of you in here, for some of you watching online, this is the only kind of peace you've ever known. It's circumstantial peace. It's fleeting. It's here one moment, and it's gone the next. And I want you to listen to me. If, that, if that's you, I want you to hear me say this. That kind of peace is not enough. It is not enough. It will not carry you through the storms of life. I want you to look again at the words of Jesus in John 14 on the screens. Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now underline this next sentence that he says because this is critical. Not as the world gives do I give you. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, there's a kind of worldly peace that you can find without me, but there's another kind of peace. There's a different kind of peace. There's a second kind of peace that only I bring that allows me to say this, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And what Jesus is saying is, there is listen, worldly peace is fragile and it's fleeting, but there's another kind of peace, and that's the kind of peace that I call supernatural peace. Now, supernatural peace is marked by a couple of things. It is lasting and it is limitless. By that, I mean it's not connected to your circumstances at all. So let's just compare the two kinds of peace so we have them fresh in our mind. Worldly peace, it's fragile, it's fleeting. For many of you, it's the only kind of peace you've ever experienced in your life. But there's a second kind of peace. There's another kind of peace. It's called supernatural peace, and it's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is lasting, and it is limitless. It is the never-ending hot tub. It is the sleeve of cookies that never runs out. It is never cut short. It does not run out. This is the kind of peace that exists outside of circumstance. It is unflappable. It is unshakable. It doesn't leave you when life gets hard. It doesn't crumble when your kid pukes on your bed at 2 a.m. Or when you lose your job or get cancer or your relationships are falling apart. It's a peace that the Apostle Paul says is a kind of peace that surpasses all human understanding precisely because it's not connected to your circumstance. I want you to look at the way the Apostle Paul says it. This is Philippians 4 on the screen says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Do you know what everything means in the Greek? everything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be known to god watch this verse seven and the there it is and the peace of god not the first kind of peace the second kind of peace the peace of god which surpasses all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus now watch uh, paul again in colossians one he says this for in him talking about jesus 
In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, watch this, making peace, there's that word again, there's that idea again, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, church family, hear me say this. This is inner peace. This is, this is spiritual peace. This is the kind of peace that nobody can take from you because it's blood-bought and Holy Spirit sealed. Now listen, I love worldly peace, but I need supernatural peace. And you do too. That's the big idea of the whole message. If you get nothing else out of what I say this morning, get this. This will be on the screens for you. You may like worldly peace, but you need supernatural peace. I love the way uh, C.S. Lewis uh, put it. C.S. Lewis was an atheist uh, professor at Oxford, so a really smart guy, uh, became a follower of Jesus, and he, he says this on the screens for you. Lewis says, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. Do you see the difference? One kind of peace is circumstantial. It depends on the happenings around you. And if things are going well, then you experience peace. But there's another kind of peace that Lewis is talking about. He's saying there's a kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. In other words, everything can be falling apart in your world, and you can still have peace because of Jesus. Now, that's the kind of peace I need. That's the kind of peace you need. And so I want to invite my friend, Michelle, come on up. She's going to share part of her story. Uh, she and her husband, Scott, one of my buddies, they're in our small group, our community group. And so I've got to hear their story and Michelle's story. And uh, part of her story, I thought, really resonated with this concept uh, of peace in really dark, difficult circumstances. So, Michelle, thanks for sharing. Good morning. This is a really vulnerable story, but I think it's important for some people to hear. I had spent the weekend at a women's retreat. This weekend is where, before I even knew what was happening, God started to weave peace into one of the darkest moments of my life. I was introduced to a precious gift in the form of a name of God, El Rory. Some of you may know that it translates into the God who sees or the God who sees me. I had no idea how much I would need this truth. I returned home from the retreat that day and my entire world was torn apart in ways that on this side of heaven will never see true and complete healing. Everyone that I love, and I do mean everyone, still suffers ripple effects from that day. It was in that moment when I crawled into a closet because I could not walk, closed the door and laid on top of a pile of shoes and called out one name over and over again, El Rory. That's where God's peace met me. I wish I had words to tell you what that moment was like. All I remember is a really bizarre feeling of being in complete despair and yet complete rest in his presence. I can say that the phrase, peace beyond understanding, took on a completely new meaning. That life event, among so many others, has taught me something really important about the peace that comes from God. The peace that comes from this world, like sitting on a beach listening to waves. Um, and the peace that meets, is not the peace of God that meets us in the chaos in the most brutal parts of our lives when we're laying on a closet floor broken and calling out his name over and over again. Thank you, Michelle, appreciate it. Skip. Now that kind of peace Michelle talks about in the darkness of life, when things happen that you don't expect, when all you can do is crawl into a dark closet and cry out the name of God. That's the kind of peace that meets you in those places, and that's the kind of peace that the world cannot deliver to you. 
I was thinking about this kind of peace, the deep-seated peace that cannot be taken from you, the deep-seated peace that only comes from the Prince of Peace. I was reminded of one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 46. I want to invite you to read it with me. It'll be on the screens for you. It says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountain tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And that's a picture of us, God's people. Makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations may rage. The kingdoms may totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. There's nothing outside of his control. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth, how he makes wars to cease at the, to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love the way that my favorite uh, pastor of yesteryear put it, Spurgeon. This will be on the screens for you. He writes this. Perhaps nothing brings more glory to God than that calm peace the saints enjoy during trouble. Just what our sister Nichelle talked about, right? In the darkness of that closet when it seemed like the world was caving in on her and it seemed like everything was falling apart and yet she described a peace that she experienced in that moment in that closet. In some ways, God is most glorified when things are falling apart around us, and yet we still cling to him as our highest treasure, and we experience his peace even in the darkest of moments. And I think that leaves us with one final question that we need to answer, and that is, how do you get that kind of peace? Like, the first kind of peace is easy. Like, we all, we all know how to get that kind of peace, right? You just, you rent out a hot tub, or you buy some cookies, or whatever it is for you, Right? That kind of piece is easy. We know how to get that. But what about, what about that second piece that Nichelle talked about, that Spurgeon talked about, that C.S. Lewis wrote about? How do, how do we find that kind of piece, lasting peace that's not at all connected to our circumstances? How do we find it? Because it does us no good to know about something if we can't experience it. And so here, here, here's the deal. I'm going to give you two, two steps to experiencing this kind of piece, the second kind of piece, lasting peace, supernatural peace. How to experience supernatural peace. Number one, this is going to sound really basic, but it's true. You've you got to know the Prince of Peace. You cannot experience that kind of peace unless you know the Prince of Peace. And I'm just going to tell you, the, 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 the only way that this peace is available to you is when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And see, here, here, here's what I see. A lot of people in our culture today, they want the blessings of the kingdom without the king. Now, I want to say that again. A lot of people in our culture today want the blessings of the kingdom without the king himself. So they want his blessing, they want his peace, they want his security, they want all of those things that are only found in Christ. They want his stuff, but they don't want him. And so what they're saying subconsciously in their minds by the way they live their life is, Jesus, I want your stuff, but I don't want nobody telling me how to live my life, so you sit on the sidelines of my life, give me all the good stuff, and I'll call you when I need you. And I just, listen, I want, I want you to know, coming from a place of love, but I want you to know, you don't get the kingdom without the king. 
You don't get his blessings without the king. Now, I know this isn't popular even for pastors uh, in our pluralistic culture to say, but I'm just going to tell you. I'm, I'm telling you, there is one way and one way only to experience this type of peace. And it's through Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it in Buddhism. You're not going to find it in Hinduism. You're not going to find it in Islam. You're not going to find it in New Age. You're not going to find it in agnosticism or atheism or just doing your own thing. You're only going to find it in Jesus Christ. And the reason is this kind of peace is not found in a bottle. It's not found in a pill. It's not found in an experience. It's not found in a relationship. This kind of person, uh, this kind of peace is a person and his name is Jesus. And so listen to me, if you have never begun your journey with Jesus, I don't care if you're religious, I don't care if you know the Bible from cover to cover, I don't care if you grew up going to church with your grandma, if you've never begun your journey with Jesus and you have found that your life today is marked by anxiety and fear and just kind of a restlessness of the soul as my life was marked before I met Jesus, listen, I want you to know it starts, this whole journey to peace starts today by giving your life to Jesus and becoming his disciple and for some of you that's the step that you need to take today because you can't run spiritually until you start to crawl and then walk spiritually so if you're here in the house this morning if you're watching online and you've never met the prince of peace in a way that's absolutely revolutionized your life that's going to be the invitation for you in just a few minutes that you pledge your allegiance to the king of the universe, to the prince of peace, maybe for the very first time. Now, there's a second part of this equation, and I'm going to use an illustration here. There's a second part of this equation, right? So for some of you, step one is you need to, uh, to give your life to the prince of peace. And I need to not drop my mic in the process. Because some of you haven't done that. But there, there are others of you in the room right now, I know that you're, you're in like you, you love Jesus, you're a part of the kingdom, like you, you don't live a perfect life, you don't live a sinless life, but man, you love Jesus, you're, you're doing your best, and yet, man, you've you got some stuff that is, that's weighing you down, it's stealing your peace. So here's what many of us are guilty of, my, myself included. For, for many of us, our life before Jesus, we're walking around with the weight of the world, man. We're just bogged down by the, the weight of the guilt of our sin and the shame and the embarrassment and the broken relationships and, and, and all of these things. And then for many of us, whether we're kids or we're teenagers in college, maybe we're even adults, we hear the gospel, God opens our eyes, we believe, we give our lives to Jesus. And what happens is Jesus begins to do heart surgery on us, right? And so Jesus kind of begins to take some of these things from us, right? And so he's like, man, this guilt doesn't belong to you anymore. I'm going to take it away. And, and man, this this addiction doesn't belong to you anymore. This is not for you to carry. And man, this, this shame, this guilt, man, this isn't for you either, man. And all this anxiety that you've been walking around with your whole life, like I'm gonna take that away from you as well. And all these broken relationships, I'm gonna take that as w away from you as well. And this fear and all these things and all these sins, like I'm just gonna take these things away from you because I don't want you walking around this life carrying all this weight because I love you too much and in fact I'm even gonna I'm even gonna open up this little hidden compartment with these hidden sins that you don't think anybody knows about and that porn addiction and all these things that you hope nobody ever finds out about guess what I'm gonna I'm gonna take all of these things as well in fact what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna empty the whole thing because I want to give you a new life and a new birth 
and we start off on our spiritual journey and it's so exciting. We feel like a million pounds has been lifted off of us. It's like, man, I can run now. I can sprint. I can walk in my purpose finally because God has taken all these things away from me and it's awesome and it's incredible. Many of you have experienced that, but here's what we begin to do. As the years, as the months pass by, and I'm guilty of it as well, is we begin to pick up that which Christ has already paid for we begin to put it back in the back. And what we're saying subconsciously is, Jesus, your sacrifice is actually not enough to take care of my guilt. And it's not actually enough to take care of my shame. And it's not actually enough to free me from this addiction. And it's not actually enough to heal my relationships. And it's not actually enough to take care of my anxiety. And it's not actually enough to, 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 to take care of my fear and these sins and all these insecurities. And so then we put back everything that God has already taken away from us. And we're carrying all this stuff around. And so our peace is gone now. And what I think the, the message for a lot of us this morning is, man, we, we got to stop picking up what, what Christ has already paid for. We're carrying around the weight that he's already freed us from. And for some of you, you just need to hear the message, man, this stuff doesn't, it doesn't belong to you anymore. And so the message, the message for some of you is really simple. And this is the second way you find Peace you need to empty the backpack you need to empty the backpack this morning and you need to stop carrying everything that Jesus has removed from your life and what we need to do this morning dear brother, dear sister, fellow follower of Christ is we need to heed the words of Jesus we're going to close with this I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come back up these are the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 11 I want you to read these with me and some of you, this is the invitation for you and this is an invitation that you need to accept this morning. This is an invitation. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. How many of you are carrying this heavy burden that Jesus never intended you to carry? He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a to-do list. I will give you more stuff to do. I will give you a bigger checklist. He doesn't say any of that. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. Even if you're at home, bow your heads, close your eyes. Just want to minimize distractions for the next two or three minutes. Here's what I want to say. If you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this is your day. I don't think it's an accident that you stumbled in here. It's not an accident that you're watching this online. This is a divine appointment. You're here, you're hearing this message because God wanted you here and he wanted you to hear this message. This is your chance to ask Jesus to save you, to turn over the keys of your life to him, to admit, God, I'm a really crummy God. I'm tired of trying to be my own God. I want to make you the king of my life. You are the prince of peace. I can't give myself peace. I can't give myself hope. I can't give myself purpose. But Jesus, you can. So the best of my ability right now, I just want to, I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn from trying to be my own God, and I want to give my life to you. Jesus, save me. Show me peace. 
Show me purpose. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. For some of you, I hope you have the courage to pray that prayer right now. And I hope you have the courage to come up here and talk to me or somebody else after the service. If you're online, connect with your chat host online. Let us know that you prayed that prayer or want to pray that prayer. Now, secondarily, if you're here and you're already a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not walking in a place of peace, which I would guess would be a huge percentage of you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now in this moment. I think he'll honor this request. Ask him to help you visualize the thing or the things that's robbing you of peace right now. Just pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, will you show me what's robbing me of the peace that you bought for me right now? And for some of you, it's gonna be a relationship that you need to get out of for your own spiritual health. For some of you, it's gonna be a job. It's gonna be a career. For others of you, it's gonna be an addiction. It's gonna be a sin pattern. But just pray, Holy Spirit, show me the one thing that is robbing me of the peace that you bought for me 2,000 years ago. All right, do you have it? Do you have that in your mind? Now, here, here, here's what I want you to do. In your mind, in your heart, in your soul, I want you to give that thing back to Jesus. I want you to hand it back to him right now. And maybe what you need to do is simply say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for picking back up what you already took. I'm sorry for picking up all these stones and putting them in my life's backpack and carrying around all this weight. This is something you already paid for. You already took away for. I'm supposed to be running in freedom, and yet I took all these things back upon myself, and I'm sorry, Jesus, but I'm giving them back to you, and I'm walking away, and I'm leaving them with you for the rest of my life. I'm never coming back. For some of you, that's what you need to be doing right now. It's asking Jesus to forgive you, giving him back the things that don't belong to you anymore. Now let me pray, and then we're going to stand. We're going to worship the Prince of Peace. God, we we come to you, and I would have to confess, I think we would have to confess that far too often we chase only worldly peace when you've offered us so much more than worldly peace, than temporary, fragile, fleeting peace. Peace, God. Would you forgive us for settling for something like that when you've offered us so much more? You loved us so much and you care about our peace so much that you came into this world, lived a perfect sinless life and died a sinner's death and rose again three days later to give us real peace, lasting peace, unshakable, bulletproof peace. So we can walk through even the the worst, scary, darkest times of life and still experience that kind of peace because it's not connected to our circumstances. It's connected to a person named Jesus. And nobody can ever take him from us. So I pray for the person here who has never begun that relationship with Jesus that today would be the day that they would have the courage to turn from their sin, turn to hope in Jesus, and begin that journey today. God, I pray for those of us who are believers, but we have not been walking in peace. God, I pray that we would give those things which you already paid for back to you this morning so that we could walk out of this room, so that we could log off online with a sense of freedom, with a bounce in our step, that we have the peace that surpasses all understanding because 
of Jesus Christ. And it's in his beautiful, strong name that we ask and we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship.